My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 24th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And this week, I want to touch on a topic that I honestly believe could fall into any of these three buckets. And it's centered on this idea that perception trumps intent. That even if your heart is in the right place and even if your intentions are pure, there is still some value in acknowledging how others perceive your actions or statements. And so I'll share more on why this is so important in today's rant, which is again centered on this idea that perception trumps intent. When thinking about perception, I like to think about perception as having sort of three different layers. The first layer is perception of self, so how we perceive ourselves. The second layer is perception of others, so how we perceive our peers, our friends, our family, and the world around us. And then lastly, how others perceive us. So the three layers of perception, again, being perception of ourself, perception of others, and how the world perceives us. And what's actually fascinating when you think about perception and about how we all perceive ourselves in the world around us, psychology over the last few decades has informed us that we are actually terrible at accurately measuring and predicting how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others in society. David Dunning, Chip Heath, and Jerry Sue, they do a study on flawed self-assessment. And they have some very striking findings that I want to share with all of you in today's rant. They find that on average, people say that they are above average in skill, a conclusion that defies statistical possibility. They furnish overly optimistic estimates of when they will complete future projects, and they reach judgments with too much confidence. They also find that people are unrealistically optimistic about their own health risk compared with those of other people. Similarly, research and education finds that students' assessment of their performance tends to agree only moderately with those of their teachers and mentors. They also tend to be overconfident in newly learned skills. In the workplace, flawed self-assessments arise all the way up the corporate ladder. Employees tend to overestimate their skill, making it difficult to give meaningful feedback. CEOs also display overconfidence in their judgments, particularly when stepping into new markets or novel projects, for example, proposing acquisitions that hurt rather than help the price of the company's stock. Other research beyond the one I just mentioned finds that we often think that we are better than others. We often think that we are better drivers, that we're better looking, that we'll be more successful, and that we oftentimes overestimate success and underestimate failure. And so when it comes to those three layers of of perception that I mentioned earlier, it's clear that we are all screwed up in accurately identifying where we are within those three different layers. When it comes to perception of self, psychological research shows that we think that we're better than the average person, that we're better drivers, that we're more attractive, that we'll be more successful. When we look at how we perceive others, We incorrectly assume that we are better than the average person. We automatically assume that health risks are more likely to be experienced by other people versus ourselves. And then when it comes to how the world perceives us, the studies also show that we get that wrong. In this study, it showed how students often misperceive how they're being viewed by their teachers and mentors. And so whether you are in college or corporate America, whether you're a student or a senior executive, 
we can all fall into these perception traps. And so we fall into these perception traps around how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others, and how the world perceives us, so much so that we assume uh, that people will understand that our intentions are pure, and we oftentimes are not giving enough weight to the perceptions of others because, as I mentioned from the start, uh, with the help of psychological research, we now know that we're terrible at all of these layers of perception. And so if we ultimately come to this belief that we are God's gift to earth, that we are so nice and so compassionate, at least when compared to the average person, then this may ultimately cause us to act in ways that assumes that people will always know that our intentions are pure and that our heart is in the right place. And since we are so focused on ourselves, any misperception about our intentions can oftentimes be taken as a personal slight, and it may even begin to cause us to lash out at the other person sharing this perception that they have of us. And it may also cause us to try to get other people in our inner circle to confirm that we are right and that the other person is wrong. But the truth is that even the best of intentions can be perceived in totally different ways than the actor had intended. We see this across politics, across business. We see this dynamic and this phenomenon occur. Ben Decker of Decker Communications highlights a 2013 incident that actually occurred between Bill Gates and the South Korean president. Ben Decker notes, yesterday, Bill Gates went under the microscope again, not for his generous philanthropy or for being the founder and current chairman of the board at Microsoft. The international community erupted after his quote-unquote rude handshake when meeting with South Korean president. In Korean culture, as well as elsewhere in Asia, a one-hand shake is notably casual. Rather than respectful, it is reserved for times when the other person is a good friend of the same or younger age. Using one hand with the other tucked in the pants pocket is considered rude. And it is done when one is expressing superiority to the other. Immediately upon seeing the handshake, the international community began debating and speculating whether ignorance or intention was the reason for the one-hand shake. While it made great media fodder, as well as a PR issue for Gates' team, I bring it up because it illustrates a critical lesson for us as communicators. Ben Decker goes on to note, It's always about our listeners and what they perceive. In fact, our intention doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is the perception of our listeners. We must be aware of what we are doing behaviorally as well as what the consequences are. And so in this example, you have Bill Gates, a prominent leader in business, going to South Korea, meets the president, shakes her hand uh, with one uh, palm. It's viewed as rude. It's viewed as disrespectful in the international community. And it's also viewed as trying to show that you are superior to the other person. And so this is an example where perception ultimately trumps intent where Bill Gates can say, I didn't intend for this to happen, but he also has to deal with how it was perceived more broadly. And then he has to make a decision to say, how am I going to respond? Am I going to double down on my intentions and say, forget you all, you're over-exaggerating, this is ridiculous, I did not mean to be disrespectful, I'm not entertaining this? Or do you say, you know what, that was not my intent, and I apologize for that, I meant no harm in my gesture, and I'm sorry that it was taken in that manner. You have two choices. Do you allow for perception to trump your intent and for you to respond in that second manner or do you say no intent trumps how you perceive it my heart was in the right place i don't have to apologize this may seem like a basic question but it's one that you have to answer many times in your day-to-day as you're grappling with your intent and how other people perceive your behavior another notable example and more recent one actually occurred with donald trump and his initial speech on charlottesville and the incident that took place there where neo-Nazi KKK protests in Charlottesville. What you begin to see in that instance is the president giving a speech where the intent was to allegedly 
disavow the KKK, to speak against hatred and bigotry and racism. But ultimately, regardless of that intent, the speech was perceived in an entirely different manner. You had neo-Nazis and KKK members, particularly the Daily Stormer, which is their notable publication. You have the author praising the president's response as saying it wasn't too hard on us. He didn't disavow us. He didn't speak down on us. He actually blamed both sides. A very good, good speech, very good for us. And that's how it was perceived by the neo-Nazi and, and KKK uh, publication. And it was also perceived by members on both sides uh, of the political aisle, on, within both parties. It was perceived as not strong enough. And so again, you have to ask yourself, do I double down on intent or do I focus on how this was perceived? And we know that in the interim, the president realized that perception trumped intent uh, because he then had to go out a couple of days later and give strong, forceful language disavowing explicitly the KKK and the neo-Nazi groups. So here's another example where perception trumps intent and that you have to act accordingly uh, when that occurs. Another example comes from pop culture where Pepsi and Kendall Jenner team up and they're sort of reenacting protests of some sort in the street and they're armored, you know, police officers and there's a lot of tension with the protesters and the police as they're marching through the streets with their different signs. And Kendall Jenner gives the police officer a Pepsi. He pops it open and there's world peace and, and, and unity and harmony and everyone's cheering and celebrating. Now, when people saw this ad, they ripped Pepsi to shreds. And Pepsi, in this instance, uh, like Donald Trump and Bill Gates, realized that perception trumped intent and that regardless of what their intent was for the ad, it was perceived in a way that was trivializing protests and police brutality and police interaction, and they ultimately decided to issue an apology, and they pulled the ad from their targeted market. And so across these three examples, whether it be business, politics, or pop culture, you see prime examples of where perception ultimately trumps intent, and that regardless of where your heart is or what you intended to occur, what really matters at the end of the day is what ultimately happened, the outcome, and how that was perceived. And that ultimately is where you should look to determine how you respond and act accordingly to things. And this is also true in a lesson that the federal government um, actually learned and championed with respect to redistricting. In 1980, a case went to the Supreme Court entitled Mobile v. Bolden. And it was a case where people were challenging uh, redistricting, saying that it had a discriminatory intent or outcome and that it hurt minority voters and minority representation. And the Supreme Court responded in, in their decision in 1980, and they basically say any allegations of discrimination in redistricting and the redrawing of districts must show a purposeful and discriminatory intent. And people after the this case was decided, you know, felt sort of defeated. It's almost like, how do you even possibly begin to prove a purposeful intent? And so people were sort of confused about how you go about that. And it got so much attention that it only took two years, and that, that's really fast for the federal government, but it only took two years for the government to act. And in 1982, Congress uh, adds an amendment to the Voting Rights Act. So every few years, they reauthorize the Voting Rights Act, and at that time, they will add additional amendments. And in 1982, Congress added an amendment, which essentially overturned the Supreme Court's decision in Mobile v. Bolden, and they basically said, no, no, no. Any claims of discrimination in redistricting and in the redrawing of congressional districts only has to show a discriminatory outcome, regardless of the, the drawer's intent, regardless of where their heart was. If there was a discriminatory outcome, you have a right to challenge that. So even the federal government has an understanding that, yeah, intent is important, but what's even more important is perception and outcome. It's how these things are perceived and the direct outcome and impact that they have on the people affected by it. And so across 
business, across politics, across pop culture, and even in our, our federal government at the congressional level, we begin to see people realizing that regardless of your intentions, it's really the outcome and the perception that matters. And that's how we have to begin to think about these issues. And so I argue that the next level of enlightenment is centered on doing what Congress did in 1982. And it's saying that we must look past intentions and start looking towards perceptions and outcomes. And not always assuming that one person's comment on how they perceive you is always them being a hater, though haters do exist, but that this person could be shining a light on a blind spot that you may be missing. And they could, in fact, be sharing with you sentiments that others may very well feel, but may be too afraid or too nice to mention to your face. So don't always immediately disregard comments or feedback on how something was perceived because it could open your eyes to a broader perception that you may not have been aware of. But more broadly, we have to understand that we now live in an interconnected world where on any given day, you are wearing many different hats. On one day, you could be a classmate and a member of a group project or a direct report or manager at work or a significant other in a committed relationship. And whether you like it or not, you have to account for other people's feelings, perspectives, and perceptions. And if you want to thrive at work, if you want to thrive in the classroom, if you want to thrive in your relationships, then you have to step outside of yourself and realize that the impact of your words and actions matter and that they can have a direct impact on other people and that you could have the best intentions in mind, just like Pepsi or Bill Gates when he was shaking the South Korean president's hand, but it can be perceived in an entirely different way in an entirely different manner. And so when you're placed in these types of situations, the question then becomes, will you double down on your intentions and say, you know, my intentions are pure, you are wrong for thinking anything otherwise, how dare you accuse me of that? Or will you be receptive to others' perceptions of your words and actions? After all, Maya Angelou notes, people forget what you said and what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I truly wonder how many relationships have been damaged or ruined because people stuck by their quote-unquote intentions and not their partner's perceptions. I wonder how many relationships could have been saved if people took more time to consider the perceptions of others, even when they go against how we ourselves perceive things. Next time you're in a position like the one Bill Gates was in in South Korea, like the one Donald Trump was in when he discussed Charlottesville initially, or like the one Pepsi was in when they tried to do an ad on protests and police interaction, decide whether you're going to prioritize your intentions over others' perceptions and then realize the consequences of either course of action. This is not about being politically correct. This is not about being weak or a quote-unquote snowflake. It's about deciding what type of leader, parent, spouse, or sibling you want to be. Choose wisely because your choice will undoubtedly impact others in this interconnected world we live in. Thanks so much for tuning in to this 24th episode where we talked about how perception oftentimes trumps intention and about discussing what course of action you're going to take when you're in a position where your actions or statements have been misperceived by others. I hope that these psychological studies that I cited, the examples from Bill Gates to Donald Trump to Pepsi to the Supreme Court, how they all have been grappling with this idea of intent versus perception. I really hope that this was thought-provoking and that it got you thinking about how you conduct yourself in your relationships at work, at school, and in the home. Do you prioritize your good intentions over misperceived perceptions? What do you do when you're faced with similar situations? It's an important question to ask and a more important question to answer because as I noted before, it'll have dire consequences in the interconnected world that we live in today. Remember, if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's the Riley Rant.